you are listening to CJLO 69 AM. Thanks for joining us this morning. We've got a very special show, a first show. Uh, this is our weekly news roundup here at the station. Joining us on the uh, on the horn for the first time, Katie Brady, our LJI journalist. Yay! The inaugural show. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's week gonna, one, a big one. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great to have you here at the station. We've done a ton of reporting. Also, in the booth with us, Daniel Braz, who's done some legwork for us this week. Daniel, welcome to the show. Hey, Cam. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this roundup. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's been a big week for Quebec News, as we all know. Uh, you can tell just by driving around the city. Strikes everywhere. I think uh, over half a million Quebec workers have been on strike this past week. And uh, yeah, the FAE on unlimited strike, the uh, the front come on, three strike days, and the FIQ with some strike days as well. And we're going to get into it. Um, so how's the, but to paint a general picture, uh, how has things out in the field been so far? Loud, exciting. A lot of momentum. Uh, I don't think there was a, a morning I woke up this morning where I couldn't hear it from bed. A lot of support is what I'm seeing there. Um, uh, definitely seems to have picked up too. Like I started out there on Tuesday speaking to some education workers and driving around the city this week. Oh my God, so much support. Uh, I was downtown the other day. There were a lot of street closures, certainly down by the bunk, the Sejabs downtown. Uh, yeah, a lot of momentum. And then yesterday, yeah, over half a million, 570,000 people off work. They're saying one in every 12 Quebecers was on strike yesterday. It's uh, it's amazing. That is <laughs> a wild amount of people yeah. and just a wild amount of movement. Yeah. Uh, Dan, uh, I guess we'll uh, get to some uh, summaries of the strike action, which you assembled to us. Yep. And uh, we'll start with the uh, the teachers earlier in the week, those who kicked it off for us. All right. Here we go. Massive strike action kicks off across the province today. 420,000 public sector workers in Quebec walked off the job Tuesday morning. This comes as part of a series of escalating union actions and strike mandates from a coalition of teachers, social workers, and healthcare staff known as the Front Commune this fall. Mary Chiata is a special education worker at Lambert Kloss Elementary School in the Mile End. She feels the government doesn't prioritize education. Uh, 30 schoolers in one group, it's not, it's not ideal, it's not, it's not right. And then after they're giving 5K to the kings to come and the education is less worthy than that. Quebec's Treasury Board President Sonia Labelle put out a statement on Sunday on X, formerly Twitter, urging unions to present a counteroffer. Oui, salaire c'est important. On est tous d'accord avec ça et c'est pour ça que dans la dernière négociation, on a donné des hausses de salaire historiques. But union leaders say the deals presented so far have been insulting. Conciliation has been appointed by the province at the request of Front Commune. But union leaders expect strike actions to continue all week. Kiara says these talks are about more than just money. To have a better time because I'm a special skater. I need to take time to help the others with um, special 
special needs and I don't have the time to do it. The Front Commune three-day strikes run until Thursday, but several other unions in Quebec will be striking on Thursday and Friday and maybe even beyond if a deal is not reached. The FIQ, the largest union of nurses and health staff in Quebec, will strike on Thursday and Friday. While the FAE, another of the province's large education unions, will begin an unlimited strike this Thursday. Talks continue this week, and both sides say they hope to see a resolution before the holidays. Over half a million public sector workers continue to strike across Quebec Thursday morning. Two more health and teaching unions outside of the Front Commune Alliance walked off the job next, adding to school closures, clinic slowdowns, and mounting pressure on the Legault government this week. As the third day of historic strike action rolled around without a deal, Premier Legault has suggested he's willing to up the offer from the government, but asks workers to be flexible. Roberto Bamba of the FIQ, the largest nurses and health worker union in Quebec, told CJLO on Tuesday that the government sees how strong these strike mandates have been, but they're trying to tell a different story. So the way we see it and the way I see it is uh, their strategy is trying to uh, bring public opinion on their part, which is clearly not in their favor currently. And it seems the public isn't buying that story much either. The Premier's comments Thursday came after a poll this week where the CAQ support sat at 24%, six points below the Parti Québécois. Picketers outside the Jewish General Hospital Thursday morning agree with Bamba that health staff are poorly managed. What we expect is better conditions for but uh, for the working process, but necessarily that has to pass by better salaries. But they're hopeful with the momentum of the strike actions this week. That there was negotiating right now, at this moment right now, and we expect that we don't have to do another strike within a few weeks. We expect, we, we hope that, we hope that. The FIQ strike will span Thursday and Friday across Quebec. Meantime, the FAE Education Union's walkout Thursday morning is an unlimited general strike which kicked off with a march from Jerry Park to rally at the Sir George Etienne Cartier Monument. You're listening to CJLO, 1690 AM, and we're back. That was some great work over this past week, Katie Thank and you. Daniel. It was, was fun, and uh, couldn't have done it without Daniel. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, so uh, Daniel, we're going to listen to the full interview you did over at the Jewish General. Can you give us a bit of the vibe that you, that like, set the scene for us over there? All right. So the atmosphere was electric. It was very, you know, family-orientated almost because I saw a couple of nurses bring their uh, kids with them to uh, to the strike action. And uh, there was a lot of support and a lot of solidarity from uh, the general public. You could hear it from uh, the honking of the car horns and... Um, while the nurses are just one front of um, the um, un- from the labor unrest in the province, I can't uh, neglect to mention that uh, it's probably one of the more stark um, stark um, uh, labor disputes. Yes, the stark labor disputes because um, Quebec has one of the has the lowest um, starting salaries for nurses at 53,000 a year. If you cross the Ottawa River and go to Ontario, the starting salary is 40% higher at uh, around 78,000 a year. So 
they're obviously feeling aggrieved at um, the actions of uh, François Legault and Sonia Lebel. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely uh, you know, a, it's a huge difference for nurses in this province for um, basically anywhere else where you can go and make um, you go and get support in the workplace and that nurses here don't receive. Um, the uh, so you did an interview with the consulier of the um. Yes, I did. Of the picket line over the Jewish general. Yes. Uh, and it's cool that you mentioned that a bunch of people brought their uh, kids out as well, because I know the teachers are also on strike, which I imagine means there's going to be some kids at the picket line. <laughs> yes. Uh, so let's dive into this interview. Uh, yeah. Let's hear it. Because when we began, well, when I began, when I, I, I will take my example. Yeah. When I began in the Réseau de la Santé, it was in 2004. Yes. The, the salary, the basic salary for Préposé au service alimentaire was like 20, 18, uh, well, uh, mostly $20 uh, an hour. Yeah. We're like 20 years Further, of course, and, and they're at uh, 22. My mom was and a nurse for um, 40 years, so 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 she her her, her pouvoir d'achat has yeah. uh, has flew with the the the, 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 the old years, uh-huh. and that's the old point of the situation. Is yes. because now the, 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 at this moment the salaries are not competitive with what there is in the private sector. Oh. So that's the old problem because. If the, the you can have the same job with better conditions in the private and with better salaries, we will never have enough people to maintain the, the services in public health services. Of course. So that's the all the major thing in the regard of that's our main, negotiation right now. That's the main thrust. Exactly. Um, so. so what we expect is better conditions for but uh, for the working process, but necessarily that has to pass by better salaries because you cannot make people return in the the health services the public health services if you don't pay them uh, sufficiently yes what's your reaction to the news that uh, a conciliateur has been appointed in the collective bargaining negotiations that's a very good news because we expect that this can make the the negotiation go further because now it's restocked and I, I believe I heard that there was negotiating right now at this moment right now and we expect that we don't have to do another strike within a few weeks we expect we, we hope that we hope that we certainly hope that we will have uh, sufficient offers from the, the the employer so that we don't have to go again on strike so um, if uh, Monsieur Legault and uh, Madame Lebel were uh, sitting across from you right now or were here what would you have to say to them? Well, just give the, the same opportunity to anybody in the Quebec. They say they always say that we, we don't have enough money and we don't have enough to, to pay the people. Well, when it was time to, to for them to have 30 percent, they, 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 they voted that. When they had uh, uh, um, negotiated with the, the SQ, they, they proposed 21 percent and SQ refused that. So now we, we are asking at least the inflation, because now what they offer us is to, to get poor within the, 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 the years to come, and that's not acceptable. So as long as they want to sit and 
and really negotiate, well, we have to make sure that our people won't be uh, poorer in a few, a few years. We, we want them to have sufficient money to pay for their home, their food and everything. Okay, do you see a settlement uh, coming in the near future or do you see this uh, industrial action escalating? We don't know, but we expect that we have uh, sufficient offers that we can make something to happen and not go on strike again. Okay. Are you happy with uh, the turnout? For, I'm sorry, sorry. Oh, the turnout uh, over the last three days, is that something that you're happy with? Yes, absolutely. Since we have the conciliator, since we have... Yeah, uh, yesterday, Robert Camus, our president, came here and they mentioned that they, uh, the, the government added some days of negotiation uh, this week. So we are hoping and we are expecting some sufficient offers that we can negotiate the uh, façon convenable. And um, do you feel as if uh, the population, the general population of uh, the city is giving uh, support to... We hear the honks here. We saw the, the papers yesterday. They, uh, they said that was like 70%. We, I think it's a real statement. I think it's, a, it's concrete within the, 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 the population. And we hear the honks. And they said that 79% uh, of the... The parents of uh, young children that going to school are also uh, uh, with us, so uh, that's uh, very good news. All right. Um... Welcome back to CJLO News Weekly Roundup. Uh, I'm joined in the booth here by Katie Brady, our hello, hello. reporter uh, through LJI. We were able to hire a journalist here at the station. Katie's going to be with us for the next couple of months, and Daniel, who's done some legwork for the, all the r- stories we have this uh, this um, past week. Hello, Cam, and hello to all those out there in Radio Land. <laughs> so, uh, before right before the break, we heard a great interview from the strike line at the Jewish General. Uh, yeah, Daniel, you're saying that it was like an electric atmosphere, and we certainly heard that in the interview. Yeah, and. Uh Hearing the interview, it uh, it confirms the news that uh, we've been hearing yesterday and today that uh, after this week of strike action, the government has kind of been forced on the back foot, and we see that in their uh, their latest uh, response because uh, now they're willing to put up more money to in their offer, and they're requesting that uh, the unions come up with a counter offer and meet them halfway. So it, it does seem like there's now some movement where there wasn't previously, which yeah. is, I guess, the point of a strike. Exactly. It seems like they're make, it's really making an impact. And I heard from your strike pack earlier that, you know, seven out of 10 Quebecers are in support of the strike. Mm-hmm. So there's a strong support from the general there population. Is. Yeah, the mandates were super strong. The public obviously feeling this. I think especially for health care after, after the pandemic. Um, yeah, people, people don't want to take it anymore. Uh, and, and you'll hear that in our next interview with Roberto Bamba. Um, he's the uh, English rep for the FIQ, the largest nurses union, and um, also the treasury uh, director. And uh, he, he said it's, he, on Tuesday, he felt like this time is really different. You know, he felt that this movement, this time, 
like, you know, the buck stops here is basically what he was saying. And uh, we really saw that play out over the course of the week, like you said, with the government's response that, you know, okay, we're, we're willing to come up a bit more. Um, but Roberto, at least on Tuesday, was a little suspicious of their strategy anyway. There's a lot of talk, especially from the front commune leaders, we're also saying that the government's trying to, um, they're trying to negotiate in the press, which we see often, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to paint a picture of inflexibility with workers and, and the workers are saying, no, it's totally poorly managed. It's not as simple as us being flexible. So let's check out that interview and uh, we'll be back with you in a moment. Uh, there's a number of difficulties in the healthcare system and they have great expectations and they're expecting in this round of collective bargaining to address a number of the issues that are currently uh, experienced in the healthcare system. And when they're seeing that uh, collective bargaining is not progressive, whether when the government is actually trying to, uh, uh, how would I say it in English, they, they want to, modify their working conditions, which are already extremely difficult, uh, it leads to a point of uh, no return for the healthcare professionals. And their way is to express the in terms of the government, in terms of the healthcare system, in terms of the employer with a strike mandate. So it's clearly not taken lightly. So the government has to understand when the healthcare professionals decide to uh, give us a strike mandate and a very strong strike mandate where uh, over almost 60,000 healthcare professionals voted in favor of a strike with a percentage of 95%. So it's clearly a strong mandate and they're very determined uh, to improve their working conditions in the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And I saw uh, Sonia LaBelle's statements over the weekend on Twitter um, saying, you know, groups need to come to the table and there's an offer. Uh, what's your reaction to that statement? And also, um, now that conciliation's been appointed, um, has that changed anything for the FIQ this week? Uh, let's be clear. Uh the government is using their strategies in terms of collective bargaining. So the, the president of the Treasury Board is quite present in the media. Uh, we'll see what impact it will have. However, our analysis is that the population is clearly supportive of uh, our pressure tactics, of the working conditions that have to change. Uh, it's one thing being in a pandemic where our working conditions were baffled. Uh, Our members uh, were forced to work overtime. They were day shift, were forced to work evenings, nights, weekends, no days off, no vacations. Uh, It was uh, a baffling of the working conditions that were provided in a work contract. That's one thing. While we're post this period, and now we have to improve the working conditions in order to attract the youth to enter this profession, which is a great profession if the working conditions are acceptable. We're not even at a point of saying we need great working conditions. We just need acceptable working conditions and we need to retain qualified healthcare professionals. So my view is 
whenever we have healthcare professionals that are eligible to retire, they could leave tomorrow. Well, if they're willing to work an extra month, an extra three months, an extra six months, one year, well, we should uh, greet them with open arms because we need every qualified healthcare professional to provide the care that the population deserves. So Sonia LaBelle, their strategy, uh, and they're seeing that uh, the population is clearly supportive of uh, the healthcare situation, also in education. We're not in the common front, so I will not speak about education and uh, the common front. I'll just speak about our reality healthcare in which we represent 80,000 healthcare professionals. So the way we see it and the way I see it is uh, their strategy is trying to uh, bring public opinion on their part, which is clearly not in their favor currently. Mm-hmm. And for you as a, as a member of the SPIC, as a, as a leader, if I can call you that, um, uh, how does it feel to be like uh, you're not part of the Front Commune, but it's, it's such a kind of historic week. I mean, even for Quebec. We do a lot of a lot of demonstrating here, but um, just for you personally, like how is it encouraging to see this kind of um, mass action with other unions and this kind of like internal and public support? Do you think, you know, like we've been here so often in Quebec? Is is this one different? Well, we're confident that this time it will be different. The government has no choice but to uh, listen to the population. The population has a clear message. We need to address the working conditions and the remuneration of our healthcare professionals and our our teachers and uh, professors at that level and also larger in terms of public sector uh, workers. So the message is very clear. Uh, the fact that we're not in the common front, uh, we don't have a difficulty with that. Uh, it's a democratic process, and our delegates clearly mandated us uh, to negotiate on our own. So uh, with 80,000 healthcare professionals, uh, we're autonomous in our functioning, and uh, we're confident and determined that we'll be able to uh, realize uh, an acceptable uh, work contract in the eyes of our healthcare professionals that we represent, considering that their expectations are very, are quite elevated. Mm-hmm. So that, that'll be the challenge because the expectations are elevated by uh, our healthcare professionals. Okay. Is there anything else about um, this action or um, the negotiations that I haven't touched on that you'd like to mention? Well, you spoke about a historical period in the province of mm-hmm. Quebec. Uh, So even though we're not in a common front, there's still a solidarity uh, within the organizations. Uh, The employer is the province of Quebec, so it's the government or Quebec. So whether you're in education, whether you're in public services, whether you're in healthcare, your reality is totally different. Your expectations are different. Uh, The working conditions are different. Our reality of our members is they cannot work in a virtual setting. So our members, the majority, are within the institutions 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The majority work every second weekend. And when I say every second weekend, 
we're talking about almost 80% of our members. So that has a big impact in terms of uh, the, your work balance, with your family balance, with your, your personal life balance, with your educational balance, which is not uh, ex- with, which other sectors don't have to deal with. So certain sectors uh, within the government, they could work in a hybrid mode, come to the office two days a week, uh, work uh, virtually. Uh, others uh, are off on weekends. So all these elements have a big impact in terms of the working conditions of our members. So when we hear the, the president of the Treasury Board say we need more flexibility from the healthcare professionals, and she clearly targets the healthcare professionals, that's where our members react. For them, it's totally unacceptable. Uh, when people finally obtain a permanent position, well, they don't want to be treated like yo-yos. They don't want to be forced to work evenings or nights or weekends if after 15 or 20 years of practice, you were able to obtain uh, a position in a setting that doesn't have weekends or has very little weekends. So, for example, if you're working in a clinic in the community with mental health patients, and you're only forced to work one weekend every four or one weekend every six, that's okay. And it has to be acceptable and um, recognize that the reason it's only one in four, one in six, it's not because the nurses don't want to work more weekends. It's because that's what the need within the clientele or the patients that that clinic is deserving. So when she comes out and say, we need more flexibility, that's where it targets our healthcare professionals and it actually provokes them. Because what we're seeing is, and what they're proposing is, everybody has to work every second weekend. So I'll just give you an example. Mm -hmm. If I take that nurse in community care with mental health patients and she's forced to work every second weekend, well, the only people that will be uh, impacted are her patients because when she's working every second weekend, she will not be working with her weekends. They'll be sending her in another center of activity, could be in a hospital or a medical surgical unit, could be in a long-term care setting. So she'll be going and work on a weekend on a unit where she doesn't have the expertise, doesn't have the experience, hasn't been oriented. So she'll be there filling a hole, but she will not be at the top level in terms of her competencies. And the detriment is that her patients, the fact that she'll be working every second weekend in another setting, that means she'll have to have two days off in that given week. So for example, if she's off uh, Thursday, Friday, well, that means her patients that would have seen her on that Thursday, Friday in the community that need her while will not be benefiting of her services. So we have to be very careful when the government says we need greater flexibility. Flexibility is the key. Well, it's clearly not the key because we're trying to help a unit that is lacking healthcare professionals, but at the end, it'll be other center of activities where the patients will be uh, impacted negatively. Right, right. It's just not that simple. <laughs> we oh, don't just no. need another second weekend. <laughs> oh, healthcare professionals are not interchangeable. Mm-hmm. If I've been practicing 20 years in the community 
with a type of clientele, well, you can't just throw me in emergency or on a medical surgical unit or long-term care setting geriatrics on a weekend because we're short of staff. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. Right, right. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't seem to be working for us anyway. Thank you so, so much, and good luck this week. My pleasure. Have Thank a great you. day. You too. Bye-bye. So you're back with us live at CGLO News Roundup for the week. Uh, awesome strike coverage, guys. Uh, it's uh, really impressive, the work you put in. But also, um, we're looking forward to seeing how these stories develop. Uh, what do you see coming down the pipeline with this sort of big labor story that's going to be around for a while? Um, from what I'm, from what I'm taking away from this is that there'll probably be a deal soon. They will probably put something together. I really, uh, politically, I don't think that one going to want to let this go on. Um, I don't think it's going to be today. I'm really interested to see what, you know, Monday, Tuesday rolls around, what happens. And also it seems from, from people I've spoken to, they might work it out for now, but will that deal be good enough? Will it actually help in the face of healthcare reform? How much is this going to help? Are we are we going to see tangible improvements to the working conditions, to the retention of staff, to wait times in the hospital? As Montrealers, we all know if if you need the ER, if you need even a clinic appointment, it it's not good out there <laughs> for them, for us. It's yeah, it's this. Given Legault's comments, I do think they'll probably reach a deal soon. But will it will it really be enough to make a difference? Um, I I think they don't want to be striking until the holidays. I think it's I think for for the CAQ government to t- tidy this up before Christmas um, is probably it's probably going to happen. It's probably what they're aiming for right now. But will it just be okay? This is good enough for now, and we'll be back here next yeah. year you know what about you daniel what uh the uh the person you spoke to at the jewish said um that he was he was pretty hopeful he's he thought they were at the table you know yesterday morning um whatever he was hearing was positive yeah um i'm gonna echo what you said and say that um the the uh fiq or the at least the strikers at the gd jgh are pretty hopeful that there's a deal on the table and Looking at it from 30,000 feet, I think if François Legault is anything, he is a political animal, and it is in his best interest and the CAQ's best interest to make a deal and take this political landmine off their plate before their poll numbers crater even more than they already have, because they're in the middle of, uh, you know, fatigue. They got uh, another five-year mandate, I believe, and you know they're uh, and the public seems to be souring on them. So, if they can wrap this up and start the process of recapturing lost momentum, they're going to take it. And uh, I was listening to uh, CBC this morning. They had a great um, political expert on from McGill, and um, they're talking about how many polls are coming out. And the question was asked, you know, do we have too many of these? Like, do we need to be constantly counting this uh, support, especially when there's no election in sight? Um, and, and he said, uh, yeah, because if, if, if we don't talk about these polls often, 
um, you know, the parties will have their own polls too. And so it's good for us to have these constant updates. But I'll be interested to see if the Parti Québécois keeps that lead on them in support as the weeks go on, or if this is really, you know, I'll call it the LA Kings gate. <laughs> was it, was it just this week? We'll see. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, uh, we'll see what the future holds, but, um, in the meantime, uh, we're going to move on to some other stories around the neighborhood. We're going to go, we're going to shift a bit more locally yep, and talk a, a bit. Yeah. Yes. Talk a little bit about the participatory budget. So, what is a participatory budget? The, so the participatory budgets are a uh, relatively new concept. I know there's tons of them around the world, but Montreal's in its second year. Um, NDG is one of the few boroughs to have their own. So what it is is there's a, an allocation of a budget, and um, residents submit ideas um, for what they'd like to see in their community. They range from you know food security projects or use of green space, um, safety, like more crosswalks. Um, and so then these ideas from residents, they get developed um, with the help of some experts. And uh, so now NDG's in the voting stage. And um, I have a little interview with uh, Reza, uh, Reza Moafi from the NDG Community Council. And uh, he told me a bit more about uh, voting. Yeah, so let's check out that pack right now. Here is Reza and Katie summing it up. Voting for Cote d'Inej NDG's participatory budget is open until December 3rd. The NDG Community Council invites participants to cast five votes from the ballot of 15 community project proposals on makingmtl.ca. Participatory budgets are increasingly popular across the world, allowing residents to contribute ideas and have a say in how funds are spent. This is the second year Montreal has had a participatory budget, and Cote d'Inej NDG is one of a few boroughs to have their own program. Reza Moafi of the NDG Community Council says this initiative helps residents enjoy their neighborhood. So there was uh, one over 140 projects submitted by uh, residents and uh, the theme of the participatory budget of the borough is uh, the quality of life. How can we improve and enhance the uh, quality of life of residents in NDG? Moafi told CJLO a bit about some of the proposals and encouraged visitors to check out the website for more. For example, one of them is uh, secure certain pedestrian crosswalks because of the safety. So people need safety these days because of, uh, you know, uh, uh, more traffic in the neighborhood. Another one is uh, municipal bike lending services that is very, very uh, interesting for people. So... Uh, uh, it's a real need of the residents. Another one is uh, food forest. So all of the projects has a good description and a poster in the website of makingmontreal.ca and also in our website of NDG Community Council. Uh, this website is ndg.ca. So there is a link. People can see the, all the information of the projects. Voting runs through December 3rd at makingmtl.ca forward slash pbcdnndg or on ndg.ca you're listening to cjlo 1690 am so yeah that was uh katie's summary of the particip uh, participatory budget mm -hmm. uh you can check out the entire project for the entire city at making mtl um.ca slash participatory budget there's a bunch of vote ways to vote up there and uh yeah um so uh interesting projects for sure 
Um, and it's been uh, it's been a long process to develop those as well. I think the original submissions were back in the winter. Um, and so uh, I'll definitely be following up with the council um, when voting closes. I encourage you all to vote. If you're a local resident, you're over 12 years old, I believe, on the website. And uh, yeah, cast your five votes. Go check them all out. Um, it's really nice to see this kind of involvement uh, in, uh, in the new community that I'm, well, not new community, new beat for me as the new reporter in this community. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good insight into what, what people care about in NDG, what they want to see. Yeah, it's a very, very civic story. Very civic, very civic. Yeah, love to see it. And I love that NDG has this, this civic involvement, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a prominent borough in Montreal, like history and politics and, uh, there's just so much going on on the side of town, so I'm yeah. happy to be here. Yeah, it's um, and uh, yeah, we're happy to help you because things are diff- a little bit different. <laughs> DG, they as much are, as- they are. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, as much as that sounds a little canned, uh, it's uh, yeah, an yeah. Anglo neighborhood, mm-hmm. predominantly mm-hmm. only one in Montreal, kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the community council is super involved here. The transport system's different. Yep. It's like I don't know different landscape yep yep Uh, i mean we're both from ontario so even i i love this about montreal is that we do have these distinct uh boroughs these distinct cities with their own flavor um their own way of doing things Uh, i really love that about montreal yeah me too it's uh you can you can get a little slice of everything here yeah and uh yeah ndg is a piece of that pie i guess where it's at yeah (laughs) it's where the studio is at too and where uh, we're at (laughs) yeah all right so um moving on to uh i guess we have um one last uh story that you've covered this week we do so it is about bill 96 and the ongoing controversy surrounding Mm -hmm. bill 96 now bill 96 was passed into law earlier this year and along with it came a couple controversial things that, and their controversy has sort of delayed their implementation. Mm-hmm. That includes uh, the limitations to communi- uh, of communications with the government uh, in languages other than French. Uh, so, for example, maybe 811 is going to change a bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, how you interact with your healthcare system is going to change a bit. If, uh, if you're the parent... Of a, of a student at an EMSB school, you might have to communicate with the teachers in French as well. They might have to internal communications. It's um, yeah, it 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 seems like it's uh, gonna co- pose a problem for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, because there are ang- there are predominantly a lot of Anglo intensive businesses around the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yep, and people in NDG will. Uh, We'll know well that uh, Ye Old Orchard just had to change their name finally. <laughs> now it's, uh, what is it, uh, Maison Public Orchard? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yep. Our thoughts are with you, Ye Old Orchard. Yeah. We used to do uh, <laughs> we used to do uh, old CGLO events in there where we'd do music trivia at Ye Old Orchard. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, changing face of the city. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, the... Uh, yeah, the renaming thing is weird too. Where it's a lot of businesses have spent a lot of time mm-hmm. investing mm-hmm. in a in a brand. And yeah, and that's what we're hearing. I mean, we'll hear this in in the interview we're gonna play. But throughout the year, we've heard this a lot too. That um, you know, from Anglo's um, who are bilingual um, or 
uh, people like myself desperately trying to learn French. It's really rough. And when we see these things, we understand that it, it, French is important and we all love French as well. But when we see these little things that maybe seem a bit trivial, like the renaming of pubs that have been here for decades, it's it frustrates people. And it's like, to them, it's like, why? <laughs> you know, this this doesn't help. Does does this really protect French? Um, it, to to some people who are uh, adamantly against Bill ninety six, you know, uh, they they don't trust that this is just to protect French. You know, they they see it as more of an attack on their right to be Anglo in this province. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of different sides, and uh, the government would disagree with that uh, that uh, that reaction from some people, and, and say it's not about that. But uh, we'll listen to Andrew Cottle, who organized a march. Um, with he's with the linguistic uh, the task force on linguistic policy, um, and the march on Sunday through NDG. Uh, it was a, it was a caravan convoy. It was a couple hundred people marching, but there were cars as well. It was, I think the fourth or fifth event they've held this year. And Andrew Cottle is, um, one of six defendants in this lawsuit against the, uh, Quebec government regarding Bill 96, um, that they, uh, had their first hearing for in recent months as well. Uh, and I spoke to Andrew a bit about their movement. He's very positive about it. He, he's bilingual. He is actually, uh, an elected official in an extremely French neighborhood. Uh, so he's really in that, you know, middle ground, it seems, you know, he, he just wants everyone and not just anglophones, allophones, uh, he mentions indigenous communities. Um, it's it's really not just about English rights in this province. All right. Well, let's go to that interview. Uh, why NDG in this rally? And also, um, I know you've had a few other events. How many is this since you uh, opened the lawsuit in, was it March? It was May 31st May. that we actually okay. tabled the actual lawsuit. Okay. And I and that was because it was kind of symbolic because June first was the day that Bill ninety six's mm-hmm. new applications came into place, like the issue of the historic Anglophone that you couldn't get services unless you were, you know, had been educated in English in Canada. Uh, but uh, that was the fourth event. We had done others in Verdun on the West Island, and uh, I'm trying to think of the other one. There was another one I can't remember where it was, but it was. In a, in, a, in a sort of Anglophone area. Um, this one was actually started at uh, Dakari, went to Cotonej, then to Snowden, then to ABG, and ended up at Turnham Park. So it covered three major neighborhoods and pretty well the entire borough of Cotonej and DG. Mm-hmm. And uh, is, is it about the... Obviously, it's a less French part of town out there. You cover a lot of immigrant neighborhoods as well, going through Cote de Neige. Um, are these uh, locations uh, on purpose? Or well, we looked at we, we we are. You see, we're trying to express our you know our concern, our, our anger at the, the the bill itself, yeah. and we're trying to get people aware. Where it's a really yeah. a process of trying to make a great uh, increase awareness. Mm-hmm. But um, we've. But you know, I'm an I'm an elected councillor mm-hmm. in a village where nobody speaks English, mm-hmm. and I could just as easily be doing this interview in French as in English. So, mm-hmm. for me, it's really not a French English thing per se. Mm-hmm. It's that the government has chosen to scapegoat mm-hmm. the Anglophone community and Allophone community 
for what they say is a decline in French, which uh, knowledgeable st st statisticians and demographers uh, disagree that there is a decline. So we're having to fight this uh, battle on a number of fronts, but public awareness and, and raising the uh, sort of the, the 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 level of optimism, let's say, within the community that this, that people shouldn't despair, that we can fight back, and that we can articulate our concerns to the premier and to the current government and to the federal government in a way that doesn't involve uh, damaging property, blocking bridges, um, or, or 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 any kind of uh, mischief, uh, as compared to people who have done things like that. And we're doing this within the parameters of democracy, and 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 uh, and to understand that we're doing it peacefully. We're taking going to the courts because uh, that's the way you do things in democracy. You don't uh, try to sub subvert the democratic process. Mm -hmm. And when you're at these events, uh, rallies you've hosted. Are you finding that the members of the community are like are they are they falling victim to this sort of scape, scapegoating narrative you mentioned? Like are are they very confused about what this bill actually means for them? Is there like a well, educational you know, it, it, component? Well, you know, in uh, when the bill came out initially, we said there would be problems with this for you know this historic Anglophone status. We said there would be difficult to get legal documents. We said that it would be uh, that you'd have problems uh, dealing with the uh, Quebec government if you were an immigrant. All of those things have come true, and then there's even the search and seizure issue uh, of uh, being able to take phones or computers from people in businesses that might be working in in uh, in French, in English. Sorry, so. All of those things have come true, and so people are now very concerned, sort of after the fact, because the bill was already passed. But um, the fact that we're challenging in court and that we're constantly coming out with more and more uh, protests and, and active in social media and in the media itself, I think is giving some some cause for optimism and some some uh, we're certainly getting a very very positive response from people so that's good because to me you know it's a lot the, the glass is the glass is always uh half full and never half empty you know i'm a positive person and i'm trying to be as uh as optimistic as possible as to what our our possibilities in you know in terms of winning our case are and also in 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 getting the francophone population to be aware that we are not uh, the cause of, of the so-called decline, that we're just being scapegoated by the government. Mm -hmm. And um, what kind of people do you see out at your rallies? Is it, uh, like, are there any demographics in particular? Are you seeing a range of, of ages and backgrounds and, and people coming out to join you? Well, we've had, you know, we were involved in the protest with the students at, uh, with McGill Concordia Bishops, and about 200 of our people came out to that, and that was mostly young people. Uh, in the... Um, in the processions, we've had uh, people on bikes and walking, but mostly people in cars that are, uh, you know, maybe over 40. Um, and, and certainly those are people that are most concerned about how they might be affected. Um, but, um, you know, we are reaching out more and more to younger people and to different uh, uh, ethnic communities. And I think um, given that, that um, the two, the three groups that are most affected by, by, by Bill 96, who are the of unilingual anglophones are indigenous people, visible minorities, and the elderly, and then the rural poor as well, but but certainly within the cities. So, you know, those are people that that I think we're going to see more and more coming forward because they are concerned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's certainly um, an interesting week politically for my first week here. Next, uh, what else is there? Anything? <laughs> is there anything 
uh, you think I haven't mentioned <laughs> that you'd like to touch well, on about, um, um, about your movement in particular or... Well, you know, I, I think I think that the, the whole point of the task force is that we wanted to build a grassroots movement that would represent individuals. And that's why our court case is focused on individuals and the way that the law affects them. Mm -hmm. And um, that, you know, we are not dealing with institutions. We're not a big uh, dealing with uh, the effect of uh, the law on law firms as the Faskin cases. We're not dealing with um, the uh, language of work like the EMSB is. We're not focusing on uh, the effect on municipalities like uh, Coast St. Luke and, and their group in Hampstead and Mount Royal are doing. What we're doing is we're focusing on the law's effect on individuals because we are a grassroots movement. And uh, and I think the, the the people are really kind of understanding that that uh, that's how how we uh, we formed ourselves and that's certainly how we're promoting ourselves and uh, people seem to be responding to it yeah i can it's certainly great. see that and uh i really appreciate you making time for me today well, keep in touch because you're listening to CJLO 1690M. Uh, this is, a, is our little wrap-up wrap segment for the week. Uh, this was your weekly news roundup with uh, me, Cam, program director of the station, Katie, our LGI journalist, and Daniel, who's been doing some reporting from our uh, legwork for us, reporting from the field over the course of the week. Uh, yeah, so time to wrap up the program. Um, and Couple yeah. things to note for locals. Um, again, voting till December 3rd for the uh, participatory budget on makingmtl.ca uh, or ndg.ca. There's also a town hall at Dawson on Monday, the 27th, where a bunch of uh, MNAs uh, from Westmount, uh, NDG, a lot of West End uh, MNAs will be discussing the uh, health care bill reform. Um, you can find more information about it on there's a Facebook event um, and uh, I'll have more news on that for you for y'all next week. Just wanted to let y'all know if you wanted to go to the town hall. If you have any thoughts about health care uh, reform, it's uh, it's quite interesting how all our stories intersect this week. Everything going on in Quebec. Yeah, yeah it, all, I... it all leads into the next. So we went from strikes and we're t we talked language next week. We'll uh, we'll be talking health care reform. Yeah, uh, I guess it's a lot of nurse talk, uh, <laughs> for sure. We need them. We love them. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, uh, also some community announcements. Uh, on December 2nd, uh, the West Haven Community Center is, is throwing Frosty Fest. Uh, stop by with the family at noon and, you know, enjoy, like, a festive holiday uh, Saturday with them. Also on uh, November 25th, in at walk the walkley community center there's going to be some bingo i think it starts around 1 30 and it's for elders but they're welcome to bring friends and family with them as well i hear there's going to be some excellent prizes uh and yeah that's all for my little community calendar of things going on in ndg that are like uh, a little less new uh newsy and a little bit more fun just a fun time to we're here for it all we are here for it all. 